Many of us have heard the saying, maybe by a pastor in church or a Bible teacher, God can't even stand in the presence of sin. He can't tolerate it. He can't be around it. But what does that actually mean? Does that mean that if we're sinners, that God doesn't want anything to do with us? He can't be around us. He can't even look at us because he's just so angry at us. I don't know about you, but that's something I wondered a lot about as a young person because just like everybody else, I'm a sinner and I sin. Well, today we're going to tackle that question. My old youth pastor, Evan Wickham, has some great thoughts in a recent sermon. And so we're going to listen to him teach and then we're going to break down this issue and find out what the truth is. I'm excited to rethink this issue with you. I hope you are too. I'm Aaron Salvato. I hope you enjoy the show. There comes a time in every pastor's life when he realizes that he was wrong about something. Let's talk about it. Hey guys, welcome to Ask a Youth Pastor. This is Aaron Salvato, your host for the show. Now, I know it's been a while since I've done an episode, and I promise there are a lot more questions coming. We've got probably about six or seven different episodes we're working on right now. I have a, a friend of mine, Ryan Lynn, a youth pastor who's called in as a guest. He's going to show up on the show pretty soon. But I've been busy. I've been in Galway, Ireland, helping church down here with things like children's ministry, community outreach, setting up tech, teaching. And uh, yeah, so it's been super, super busy. But on this episode, I wanted to kind of talk about two new things. Um, one is kind of a, a different episode format, which is something I want to call misconceptions. I personally, just growing up in the church, have had a lot of misconceptions about the Bible and faith and Christianity. It's stuff where it's like, I don't even know necessarily where it comes from or where I picked it up, but it's just, it becomes a part of your DNA and understanding and those things need to be unlearned. So I love picking apart my own misconceptions and learning the truth. Um, so that's one of the things we're talking about today. And also one of the things I wanted to do in this episode was um, I'm going to actually answer a question, not myself, but I'm going to use an audio clip from a Bible study uh, taught by my good friend Evan Wickham. And that's something I want to do on this show is uh, when I'm listening to messages throughout the week, if I find one that answers a question that's come up on the show, I'll, I'm going to put it in the show and play it because I think it'll be a blessing for you guys to hear that not necessarily always coming from me or even my youth pastor friends, but from other other solid pastors who answer those questions. So with that, let's get into some misconceptions. So before we get into misconceptions, first we need to ask the question. So here's the question for today. Is it true that God cannot be in the presence of sin? That's a pretty common thing that I've heard growing up. And honestly, it's something that I've said many times myself. You know, maybe you've heard it too. God is so holy, he's so pure, he's so righteous that he can't be in the presence of sin or sinners. He can't even look at them is, is kind of what I've grown up thinking. And I've even said that many times to people myself. I don't know exactly where I first heard it or picked it up, but I've always kind of just known it. Um, but even though I've always known it, does that mean that it's true? That's the question. 
So honestly, the thing that got me thinking about this was today I heard a sermon by my good friend, Evan Wickham. Evan was my youth pastor growing up, junior high and high school. Awesome guy. He's done ministry in San Diego. He did ministry in Portland, Oregon for a while. Now he's back in San Diego, just planted a church called Park Hill. Highly would recommend it for any of you guys in the San Diego area. Um, But Evan taught a message, and in this message on Ephesians, he brought up this issue. And what he has to say really, for me, shed a ton of light and help me kind of reframe this issue in a way I've never thought about before. And I just think it's it's really good for us to listen to these type of things to help us sort of deconstruct the misconceptions we have about God. So uh, with that said, let's listen to the clip and then we'll talk about it. I want to deconstruct this a little bit. If you've been around church long enough, you may have heard something like, God can't stand the presence of sin. He's so holy. Or like, God is holy, so he won't allow sin in his presence. Or something like that. But I I think that's totally wrong. I reject that picture of holiness entirely. That idea probably comes from Habakkuk 1.13, which says, uh, let's put it on the screen. It says, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Which sounds good and great. Yes, God is too pure to look at evil. But in the second half of the verse, God does that. He looks at evil. Look, when, why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? So to say that God can't look upon sin is simply wrong biblically. Far from turning his eyes away from sinful humanity, God dives right into the thick of our sinfulness in Jesus. If God can't stand the presence of sin, what do you do with Jesus? He eats with sinners and welcomes prostitutes and touches the dirtiest of us, all while calling us to holiness, which isn't abandon your sin or else, it's be with me. I'm with you, I'm a holy God coming to you. So you be holy people, come to me. That's why Jesus enters, we have this wrong paradigm that's pushed against the true vision of God in the church. God's holiness doesn't drive him away from us. God's holiness drives him to sinful people in order to cleanse and redeem us so that we can be holy like he is. So important. And because God came in Jesus, we are, next part, adopted by him. And this adoption is a work in progress. This adoption is a work in progress. This is God's pleasure and it's all freely given, but it's a work in progress. So good. I I love hearing that guy teach. It totally takes me back to the junior high days. So, so, so good. I want to get him on the show eventually to do kind of an interview based on some questions that kids have. But uh, for now, um, I just want to talk about some things that are on my heart just after hearing that message. So here's the thing. I have personally in messages that I've taught, this is kind of going back to the beginning of the episode when I was talking about how every pastor needs to realize when they're wrong at times and hopefully admit it, I am admitting it. I, I, I've been wrong about this issue and it's come from a place of, you know, this isn't something I learned in Bible college. This is just something I picked up. I've taught this before that, that God is so holy that he can't ever be in the presence of sin. Here is the analogy that I came up with as a youth pastor. Um, so if you're one of my students listening to this and you remember me, using this analogy, I'm sorry, it was a bad analogy. Here it is. Um, I would say this, I'd be like, well, Johnny, you see, (laughs) Johnny's a hypothetical kid I'm talking to. Well, Johnny, you see, God is so holy 
that he cannot be in the presence of sin. It's like somebody who has a peanut allergy. Uh, that person can't be in the presence of peanuts. If they eat food that has even one single peanut in it, then it would destroy them and, and it would be bad. And so it's like God has a peanut allergy in regards to sin. That, what a bad analogy. I haven't used that one in a long time, but uh, I, I remember feeling very proud of it when I came up with it. And now I'm just kind of embarrassed. So, yeah. So I was curious about whether or not this idea was common or if it was just something that I grew up thinking. And I, I found actually a website that kind of has a little doctrinal statement about it. I'm going to read it. So the website says, The God of the Bible requires cleansing for the purpose of relationship because he wants to be with us, much like a parent welcoming home a child after a summer's day at the park. A child who is probably hot, sweaty, and dirty, God wants us to be clean because he wants to enjoy our company. Our impurity is not something God permits in his presence. He can't tolerate it. And so he says to us much the same thing a parent would say to a child, Go wash up before you come to the table to eat because I want a person who is clean at my table, which is just that's that's just all kinds of problematic because like, I mean, if you're a parent, like, do you make your kid shower before you spend time with them? Like you if you're a good parent, you help that kid get clean. You don't send them out of the room and say, you can't be with me until you get clean. That's just, and, and it, you know what, biblically too, it's, it's, it's kind of off because, you know, Jesus doesn't say to us, get your life together and then follow me once you're perfect. He says, follow me and I'll perfect you as you go along. And yeah, Jesus offers us a seat at the table just as we are. And, and as we come to him, then we are able to turn from our sins. When we turn to Jesus, it allows us to live life at turning from our sins. But but Jesus doesn't require us to be perfectly clean. We can't be perfectly clean without him. So yeah, it's just crazy that this idea has permeated so deep into kind of my psyche and probably yours listening if you kind of grew up as a Christian kid. I don't know where we where we got this. So writer Benjamin L. Corey has this concept he came up with called generational theology. I'm going to read a quote from him. Here's what he says. So Benjamin says, this notion that God cannot be in the presence of sin is a classic case of what I've come to call generational theology. Generational theology is basically a, a host of many things that we believe and repeat without ever deeply questioning them. They get passed on to generation after generation after generation, not because they're true, but because that's what our well-meaning but uninformed Sunday school teacher, grandparent, or parent taught us. Reader's Digest. Generational theology is junk that we believe and pass down about God without even thinking about whether or not it's true. Man, that's just... I, just like I said in, earlier in the show, I did that. I, I was the uninformed youth pastor who heard that and worked that into my theology when it was inaccurate. And I just think, honestly, that's why it's so important 
that we do ask questions. That 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 when something is repeated, we Christians love to say churchy things. We have phrases that we say, you know, like, oh, you know, God helps those who help themselves. Guess what? That's not in the Bible. But it sounds good. It sounds like it would be like in the book of Second Opinions, chapter four, verse three, or something like that. Uh, you know what I mean? We we say these things, but are they true? We need to always go back to the scripture, always go back to the word, not just cherry picking random verses, but looking at the entire book, <laughs> all of scripture, which is one big story about Jesus. We, we need to look at the whole thing. And, and honestly, in my life, uh, there's been times where I haven't done that. But the more that I do, the more that I come back to Jesus and the scriptures, the better off I am. And I just want to encourage you, any of you listening to this, you know, if you've got questions, if there's things in the Bible that to you don't seem that they, that they don't seem to add up, don't give up. Like, don't stop searching for those answers because they're out there. Don't be satisfied with just kind of those, those churchy phrases, but really seek the truth. Here's the thing. The Bible is a story of God coming near to sinners. Think about Adam and Eve when they disobeyed in the garden and basically poisoned us all. Thanks a lot, Adam and Eve. But when they did that, when they sinned, did God say to them, I'm done with you, I, I, I can't even look at you, I can't even be with you? No, actually, actually God came to them and God provided a lamb as a sacrifice. And even though there was justice, there was a promise of mercy. All throughout the Bible, you've got the story of Cain and Abel, that's a story of murder. You've got Abraham, he was a liar and an adulterer. You've got Moses, he was also a murderer. You've got, read the book of Judges. I, I, I just taught a class on the book of Judges at the Calvary Chapel Bible College and I had never studied Judges. Uh, well, actually, yes, I had studied it in junior high, but that was a long time ago. So for me, teaching the class, I was studying Judges for the first time in years and just realizing how much sin and depravity. You've got child sacrifices, you've got people abusing one another to death, chopping up people into pieces and mailing them to their neighbors. It's, it's insane. So much sin. And yet, all throughout the story of the Bible, God is constantly showing up and drawing near to sinners. That's really the story, that God loved the world, sinners, so much that he was willing to continue to draw near to them, even though they rejected him over and over again. He was willing to draw near to them because he wanted to save them. It's the, the gospel is so beautiful. You know, I really like what writer Jeremy Meyer says. I'm going to read you his words. He said, sometimes we get this crooked view of God where he cannot look upon sin or be near sin because sin would somehow taint his holiness. Such a view gives sin way too much power and gives God way too little. God is not like a pristine white couch upon which no one can sit for fear of getting it soiled. No, sin cannot be in the presence of God because whenever God draws near to sin, the raging inferno of his love and holiness washes all sin away. God can no more be tainted by sin than the ocean could be dyed red by a single drop of blood. <laughs> so good. And then he writes, this is why God takes all sin upon himself in Jesus. Sin crushes 
enslaves and destroys humanity, but it vanishes away into nothingness at the smallest touch of God's blazing holiness. Pfft, oh my gosh, that's that's so good. I've got to read quotes from people on this show more because that is straight up fire. So good. You know, one of the things that Evan pointed out in the message that he gave was that Jesus is the ultimate example of God drawing near to sinners. And think about it. I mean, Jesus regularly ate meals, like sat down at the table with tax collectors and prostitutes. And if you don't understand like the significance of what that would be like to the Jewish people at that time, it'd be like if Jesus was basically having meals with drug dealers and porn stars. Like if Jesus had an Instagram, if Jesus came in 2017 uh, and he was sitting at the table with drug dealers and porn stars and that showed up on the Instagram, people would be like, I don't know if I should go to Jesus's church. He looks like he hangs out with some sketchy people. But why, why did Jesus draw near? Like, why did he sit at those tables with those sinners? Was it to party with them? No, it was to heal them. Jesus saw himself as a doctor and the whole world was his hospital. Jesus, his mission has always been to cure the disease of sin that's in the hearts of people. And the way that he does that is by getting near. I mean, think about it. A doctor can't heal you if he won't get near you. Jesus in no way ever was in a place where he was like, I, I can't even look at sin. I can't even get near it. No, Jesus dove head first into the world of our sin because he was always on a rescue mission to save us. So what's the takeaway from all this? Is the takeaway that God likes sin and he approves of sin. <laughs> if that's what you got out of this, then oh, that's a bummer. That's that's not at all what any of us are trying to say here that that sin isn't a big deal. But the thought that sin is something that is like kryptonite to God and it blinds him and he has to run away from it, that's also a wrong idea. God hates sin. It's, it's literally something that represents to him this war that has been going on since before we existed. This war between good and evil, God and Satan. Sin, disobedience, destruction. It, it's, it, God hates it. He, he looks at it. It's, it's like poison. It's like cancer. Just like we look at our family members who have cancer and, and we, we hate that. In the same way God hates sin. But the reality is that God is not afraid of sin and, and he can look at it and he can draw near to it because he comes near to sinners to look at them and see them for who they are and touch them and heal them. The fact that when Jesus became flesh, when God became flesh as Jesus, he became known as the friend of sinners. That should be enough to remind us of the truth. God doesn't run from us in the middle of our flaws and brokenness or even our sin. Instead, God is a friend who sits down beside us and offers to help us get our life back together. And really, when we say that God wants us to get our life back together, we're not talking about like, oh, God's going to help me do my taxes or like God's going to help me 
pay off my student loans or I don't know, get a job. No, that stuff's great too. Don't get me wrong. But when we say that we want God to help us get our life back together, what we're saying is we want God to heal us of the brokenness and sin that we all carry in our souls. That, that's killing us slowly. We need that healing. So to wrap this up, I want to talk about a healthier view. I think a negative view, like I said, that we grew up with is this idea that God can't even look at sin. And that's something where... I think for a lot of us, when we sin and when we make mistakes and when we blow it, we feel like God is just angry at us and he hates us. And he's like, oh, I can't even look at you. And, and I think that is not the true biblical view. So I think the healthier view is not rejection, but heartbreak. You see, sin is not something that makes it impossible for God to reach us. But sin is something that breaks God's heart. You see, when when Jesus came to earth, he fulfilled literally thousands of years worth of Torah prophecy. All of these things that God planted in the scriptures that pointed to Jesus. The reason was because when Jesus showed up, the Jews should have realized who he was. He had put all this evidence in the scriptures, but they rejected him and that broke his heart. That didn't make Jesus go, because of your sin, I'm going to not even look at you. I'm going to be as far away from you as possible. No, it wasn't rejection, but it was heartbreak. Sin broke the heart of Jesus. And that disobedience caused Israel to forsake their mission to be a covenant people. And you know what? For us Christians, our disobedience also can cause us to forsake our mission to be a covenant people, to point the rest of the world to Jesus. We become people who have saved souls but wasted lives when we live lives of sin. Jesus says in the Gospel of Luke, he, he's, he's crying out. He's, he's upset about the city. He's upset about the people rejecting him. He says this in, in Luke, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones God's messengers, how often I have wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wing, but you wouldn't let me. And now look, your house is abandoned and desolate, for I tell you this, you will never see me again until you say blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. There you have it. I mean, Jesus came near to disobedient sinners, even though it broke his heart to do so. He died on that cross for people who rejected him. Listen, sin isn't strong enough to keep him away from us. It's our choice though. Our choice to refuse to accept Jesus can keep us from seeing that he's right in front of us. And it's totally tragic, but it's so important that we understand this the right way. So I was gonna end the show there, but I actually just got a call from another user here on Anchor named Integrity Radio, and um, I just thought the stuff this guy had to say was really compelling, and, and I felt like I needed to address some of the things that he said. So I'm going to play his clip on the radio here, and then I will respond to what he said. It is my duty as a human being that cares about other human beings to advise you Imagine if you put all of this effort into your relationships 
Imagine if you put this effort into understanding science. Imagine if you put this effort towards bettering the world around you. Imagine if you put this sort of effort into actually understanding anything. Now, I know you're not going to post this. I mean, you don't really care about other human beings, so why would you even post something about that another human being would be responding to you with? Of course, you're only going to respond to things that are positive and agreeing with you. But my God, what a waste of time and youth and mostly intelligence. What a waste. Hey, man, thanks for calling in. Um, you said a lot, so it's late here. It's uh, 3.43 a.m. here in Ireland, uh, so I'm going to try to respond to what you said pretty quickly. Uh, I'll try to address everything you said, but first of all, just thanks for calling in and expressing your view. Um, you know, I totally understand for someone who doesn't believe in this stuff, I understand why it would seem like a waste, but let me just go through what you said, and I'll kind of share my view and you can take it or leave it. Um, but yeah, I just appreciate the call in. So I'm going to try to just address what you said point by point. So the first thing you said was, it's your duty as a human who cares about others to give me the advice that you gave. And I just want to say, sir, I'm glad that you're a human who cares about other humans because that's the core message of the Bible. Like that's one of the messages that compels me to live my life the way that I do. That message is that God loves humans, so we should love and care about other humans as well. So then you're referencing kind of the effort that I'm putting into the podcast and saying, imagine if I put all that effort into my relationships. And honestly, it's Jesus's teachings that cause me to put effort into my relationships every day. Naturally, I'm a selfish person. Naturally, I'm not patient or kind. And I'm married. I've been married to my beautiful wife, Brooklyn, for seven years. It's the teachings of Jesus that compel me to put effort into those relationships, to, with the relationship with my wife, to put that effort into it, to love her unconditionally is what the Bible said. Uh, it, it's basically this idea of the way that God loves us. He, he loves us without any condition. He forgives us no matter what. He's patient and kind. That's the effort that I should put into the relationship I have with my wife and also with my parents, my siblings, my coworkers, and, and the youth that I minister to in my town. Then you say, imagine if I put this effort into understanding science, and you got me there. Um, I was not the best at science growing up. I was always the guy in science class. I loved history and English, but in science class and math, I was always the guy kind of asking my friends, you know, what was the answer? I just couldn't comprehend science. Um, but you know what, as an adult now, you know, that was, you know, middle school. <laughs> so, you know, I'm a 28 year old man now and uh, I am trying to wrap my head around science. I'm actually enjoying studying science now with fresh eyes. Um, I personally, as a believer in God, as a follower of Jesus, I believe that God as the creator of everything, he invented science. So there's not this kind of false dichotomy of God versus science, but that God is actually the author of it. So if God invented science, I should try to understand it. So 
Um, my current method of trying to understand science is watching a couple different really good YouTube channels that um, are scientific in nature and they describe things. I've been learning about dark matter, which is interesting. Um, but uh, yeah, I absolutely could put more effort into understanding science. I have a lot to grow in that area. The next thing you said was, imagine if I put all of this effort into bettering the world around me. And honestly, that is what Jesus's teachings compel me to do, to make the world around me better. The Bible teaches that that's God's mission. It's to come to this world and restore it to the way it was always supposed to be. A world without violence, a world without racism, a world without theft or abuse or murder, any of these things. And so as followers of Jesus, our mission is to follow him and, and to live our life like Jesus in such a way that we spread that mission that God has for the world. So for me, the way that looks like is the last 12 years, um, I've spent my life mentoring students. I used to be so focused on myself. I had all these dreams of going to Hollywood and becoming a film producer and all these things. And God changed my heart, and I've realized the value in serving other people. So I've spent my time mentoring students, teaching in schools. I've been a, a big brother to kids who are fatherless, kids who have no dads. Um, I've spent time helping the poor and the homeless in my community with practical needs like food and shelter and clothing. And really, it's the teaching of Jesus that has compelled me and my wife to sort of uproot our lives and live out of a suitcase for two months in Ireland. And and the reason we're doing that is because we feel like God has told us to go, to help people, to help churches and communities. Tomorrow, we're actually going to be in the city of Galway, and my wife and I and some pastors here are going to be putting on an event for families in a poor gypsy community. We're going to be doing some puppet shows, and we're actually going to do a photo booth where we're going to take free, high-quality family photos for these families who never would be able to afford professional photography. Um, so we're really excited about that. Um, but all that to say is, you know, I believe that God has used my life to better the world around me. But it's not even like this isn't a bragging thing. Like it's not me saying like, oh, look at all the great things I've done. I realize that I would not have done these things without Jesus in my life leading me to these things. And you know what? That's just my life. Even more so, God has used Christians, Christ followers all over the world to better the world through things like social justice and, and charities and building hospitals and helping refugees and the list goes on and on and on. I would just encourage you, if, if your idea of Christians is just sort of unintelligent, anti-intellectual, political, you know, if, if that's your idea of Christians, you need to take, uh, I, I would just say, take a second look at followers of Christ and what they're doing around the world. I would say even make a distinction between people who call themselves Christian, as in they subscribe to the tradition of Christianity, and more so look at what those who actually follow Jesus are doing around the world. Then he said, imagine if I put effort into actually understanding anything. And that's a broad statement, like I do understand some things, like, you know, gravity and 2 plus 2 equals 4, but I'm being facetious right now, I guess. But you know what, the main thing that I understand, honestly, is Jesus Christ. 
and his love and his compassion and his forgiveness of sinners like you and me. And listen, uh, you know, I come from a completely different worldview and perspective than you, and I respect you having a different opinion than me. That That's okay. We can have different opinions. And I would say we could be friends. And I would hope that you wouldn't see me as an enemy here on this podcast world of Anchor, but that we could be friends, uh, even if you think that my worldview is completely insane and bogus. But for me, I've studied both sides, and based on the evidence, I don't have enough faith not to believe in Jesus. And just really quickly, so here's a story. Real, this is a real story. <laughs> this really happened to me recently. Um, Ten years ago, I felt like God called me to go to Ireland. I just, it was this little voice that was kind of in my head. Um, again, that's probably you thinking I'm crazy, you know, voices in my head. But I feel like God told me ten years ago when I was in college, you know, one day you're going to go to Ireland. Ten years goes by. God doesn't send me to Ireland. And so I'm praying last year, like I do, I pray. And I'm saying, God, I feel like you told me to go to Ireland, but 10 years has passed and nothing's happened. If you really want me to go, God, you have to prove it to me because I was doubting. Like I was totally skeptical. I thought, you know, this isn't God. This is just something that I made up and I, you know, said it was God, but really it was just my own delusions. So I prayed and I said, God, if you really honestly were serious about the whole Ireland thing, you have to show me. Literally that day that I started praying, I ran into a homeless guy on the streets of Vista, California, which is a little Hispanic town in California. Um, I run into a homeless guy who ends up being from Cork, Ireland, which was the only town in Ireland I ever knew anything about. Two days later, I run into another homeless guy and I ask him what his name is. And he says, my name's the Irish man. And he pulls open his shirt and he has a tattoo of the map of Ireland on his chest with the words Ireland. It was mind blowing. And I, I started planning the trip to go because I was sure that God wanted me to go. But then when I started to think about the financial aspect, I started to doubt. And I was like, I can't do this. I can't afford this. I have to pay rent on my house in California and also get rental cars and places to stay in Ireland and food and transportation. It's impossible. So I told my wife, we can't do this. We're canceling the whole trip. There's no way. And that night, I went to the store to get toilet paper. <laughs> and a homeless woman walked up to me put her hand on my shoulder and said we've got to get you down to ireland man i mean <laughs> come on i mean no matter what your worldview is those are either i'm lying right now and i'm just making stuff up or that's an insane coincidence <laughs> insane coincidence or god is real and he's doing something in the world and he's asking us to be a part of it so to wrap this up you said that you knew I wasn't going to post this, and then I did, so sorry. Um, and he said that I don't actually care about other human beings, um, and that's just not true. I love other humans, and I, I actually love you, man. I don't know you. I don't know your name. I would love if you'd reach out and let me know kind of who you are. Um, I've listened to your station a little bit. I think uh, the stuff you have on there is very insightful, very intelligent, and I appreciate it. Um, so keep it up. And I love questions and input, and I love even when people challenge what I believe, honestly. Because I think if we're just so closed off in our beliefs that we basically shame others for having different beliefs than us, or it, it, basically it, what we do is, in a lot of times, we live in these bubbles 
where all we do is we're just in an echo chamber where we're just listening to other people who have the same viewpoint as us. So personally, I love talking to people who don't believe what I believe because I want my own understanding of the world, not just to be based on the bubble that I live in, but I, I personally, just based on my own worldview, I believe that God loves people and he has a truth that he wants to communicate to people. How can I communicate that truth unless I step outside the bubble? So now the interesting thing is at the end of the message, um, I don't know if you realize this, but you said, my God, what a waste. And again, I'm not trying to be facetious, but you know, have you asked yourself ever, who is your God? Like, have you ever truly thought that maybe there is a God and that he exists and that he loves you? And you said at the end, in a, in a very well-spoken way, you have a great voice for radio and it was very dramatic and epic. Um, I, I actually enjoyed listening to it even though I didn't agree with it, but you ended it with saying, what a waste of time, youth, and most of all, intelligence. And I just will say this to end. I don't think it's a waste to serve the God who gave me breath. He gives me the breath that I breathe and he died for me and he died for you. And I would just end with just think about this, take it or leave it. But if you're right and none of this stuff is real, then really me being wrong is of little consequence because I'll just believe in my God delusion and then one day I'll die and I'll cease to exist or I'll become fertilizer in the ground. However, if I'm right and you're wrong, then the stakes are very high because really you've gone through your life missing out on the reason you were made to be in a friendship with the God who loved you enough to die for you and the God that you don't fully understand yet because you believe so many lies about him and so many misconceptions but he's real and he loves you and he cares about you that's just my worldview and God is so patient and he's so kind I just I would encourage you if you feel like it, go back and listen to this whole episode if you haven't. And just, uh, I think maybe you might get a perspective on God that you didn't have before. Um, and you know what? I totally respect your ability to disagree with what I have to say. And um, I'd love to just continue dialoguing. I'd love to continue um, maybe even the possibility of a friendship if you're open to it because you know, I don't want that echo chamber. I, again, want people that I can talk to who don't agree with what I believe in because um, I think it's a good positive thing. So thanks for being on the show and um, thank you for calling in. And I appreciate your input. And um, yeah, man, all the best. And this has been Ask a Youth Pastor. Um, I just want to thank um, Evan Wickham for his awesome sermon that he taught at Park Hill this last weekend that we used in the clips so good um, and I just want to thank all you guys for listening and uh, we will continue to make more episodes so stay tuned it's been great you guys are rad and uh, God bless it is now 4.03am so I'm going to bed good night